Hi, and welcome to NANCAST, and the continuation of this series on interviews giving you an inside look on how NICU nurses can improve neurodevelopmental outcomes. I'm Jill, your host. As we discussed in the previous episodes, anytime we can reduce the stress of an infant, it helps with healing and most importantly, development. How can we, as NICU nurses, utilize other disciplines to create a more positive environment for our patients and their families? Today, we are going to talk to a music therapist, Laura Cerulli, who is doing just that. While over 50% of the top U.S. children's hospitals utilize music therapists, there are many misconceptions about the field of music therapy. It is far more than a musician strumming a guitar or a nurse pressing play on a Pandora playlist, or worse, playing what music they like the best. The music therapy that Laura provides is not your conventional Bach or Mozart playing quietly in the background. These are sounds that are both patient and family focused. So how does music therapy fit into the NICU? Let's get right into it. Hi, Laura. I appreciate you taking your time to join us today. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. Oh, thank you for coming. I'm sure a lot of people don't really know what a music therapist is or what they do in a NICU. I think a lot of people look at you as an entertainer for our babies and us and the patient's families. But what exactly um, do you do in the NICU and how are you utilized? So music therapy, um, believe it or not, is actually like a clinically and evidence-based um, practice. There has been multiple articles, even entire journals, just about the use of music therapy. And I feel like in NICU, Recently, um, it's really kind of become like a revolution of using music therapy with both with patients and families in the NICU setting because, as you can imagine, when a child's in utero, they're exposed to all these different sounds, the womb sounds, the heartbeat sounds, all the things that would make them feel safe when they're born early, they're kind of deprived of those sounds. So as a music therapist, my goal when I meet babies, especially premature babies, is how can I recreate an environment where they feel comfortable? So the idea that the sounds are healing. It truly is true with music therapy because we're trying to recreate the womb sounds. And um, you have to be a board-certified music therapist to do music therapy. Unfortunately, you can't just go in and play an instrument and say, oh, I'm a music therapist now. You, I have my master's degree specifically in Master's of Arts in music therapy. So not only am I trained to use music to help patients developmentally, but I've also been trained in kind of the verbal skills that are required to help parents and siblings navigate some of the trauma that comes along with having a premature child and how they can take care of themselves and their family and truly connect with their child through music in a way that um, not many people can give them. And I think it's amazing as a music therapist that I'm able to go in there and offer interventions that make them feel truly connected to their child. So as a therapist, you must have goals Um, that you go into when you care for each of these patients and different kinds of interventions. Could you kind of go into more detail about what your goals are with each babies and what kind of interventions you do? Absolutely. So what's kind of great about music therapy is that because I have kind of a a very broad range of skills that I can bring into room and and a broad range of instruments is that I can be consulted for someone to do developmental stimulation for let's say like a 36-weeker who was born at 32 weeks and they're now at 36, they're just looking for stimulation in the room. Like let's say OT and PT said, I think they would like music therapy. And I go in there and when I get in there, 
or when I would talk to the nurse, they're like, we actually are trying to get their pain under control, like nothing's working. So instead of that moment of thinking of more trying to do developmental stimulation, which would be sounds to keep them awake, alert, working on tracking, maybe trying to get them to hold things like a maraca or trying different things like that, I might actually try to create an environment that's going to reduce stress so that their body can actually, it's called entrainment, where your body matches the rhythms of a room. When someone's in pain and when their breath gets kind of tight and out of control, imagine all the beeping that's going off in Nikki's room. (laughs) When they have nothing to really gravitate themselves toward, when you have like some random beeping from one side from a vent or random beeping from the pulse ox on the other side, it's very dysregulating, especially for a neonate. So if I can come in and create a sound for them that is calm, that is constant, you truly, I can watch monitors completely change. And even if they're grimacing still, their heart rate will start to go down, their O2 starts to go up because they start to feel like they're regulated in a way that sometimes, unfortunately, just given how hospitals are, a NICU doesn't give. Like you're not supposed to have sounds over 60 to 65 decibels in a room. And we know for a fact <laughs> that those alarms are way above that. So by coming in and trying to give them something else to gravitate towards can help with pain reduction because it helps them feel like they can better regulate their breath support. So that's one thing. I also can go in, like I said, and do developmental stimulations. So working on tracking, getting them used to the idea of different sounds, because if a baby's at home, they're going to be exposed to all sorts of sounds. The mother singing to them, the father singing to them, siblings, everything like that, they would hear that. So as they get closer to discharge, they might consult me to say they need to be regulated to the room so it's different sounds stimulus so when they get home, they don't get overwhelmed. So I can go in and do things like that. I co-treat with OT, with PT, and with speech lots of times. Um... And then also it helps, like I know you guys did a segment on baby bookworms. It's actually been proven that the more kind of exposure to language through music and parentese, which is like kind of the way that we all talk to babies and like the highs and lows of how you do things, by doing more and more of that, it truly helps them develop um, those skills that I feel like sometimes they're deprived of when they're in a NICU setting because they're they're so fragile. Everyone's like, oh, just be careful, be quiet around the babies, which you should be. But like 15 to 30 minutes of music therapy has been proven to really improve those skills that when they get older, they kind of are able to adapt. And then it helps them hit those milestones faster because we know when they're, when they're born early, it takes them a lot longer to meet certain milestones. So music therapy can help with that. And then one of my favorite things to do probably is... Um, One of my goals can be familial connection. So sometimes I will record parents' voices, especially if they can't be at bedside all the time, either reading books or singing lullabies so that the nurses can play it at bedside when the parents aren't there. I've even did siblings reading books, writing songs for their sibling, and having their voice there so that they feel when they're gone that their sibling still knows who they are and and what they're about. And it really helps the baby when they go home to be like, I know these sounds. I know these voices. These are like, these are my people. And for every family, I do what's called a song of kin, which is where they pick song or songs that are important, meaning for them, whether the mother listened to it when they were pregnant or for the family, they just love a song. And I make sure I integrate that into every session. So this baby knows like this is their song. So again, when they transition home... They have a familiar song. And then also for the parents to say, even when you're not here, I will always play your song for your baby so that they know that you always, like, you're a part of this with them. Nurses sometimes think I'm crazy for some of the song choices that parents have, but you just have to respect what the parents want. And I can take pretty much any song and make it appropriate to in, like, a lullaby form for infants to be able to handle and tolerate. 
I think that's really great to even incorporate the siblings because oftentimes I feel like the siblings kind of get, you know, left aside or, or we, you know, send them over to the child life specialist and they do their own little activity. But I think bringing the family together through music is, is very powerful for the family. Also, you know, it gives them um, a sense of, you know, being um, involved in their child's care. And I like the fact as a night shift nurse that I have the ability to also include the family when they can't be at the bedside at night. Um, and also including the siblings, too, because far too often at night, we don't see the siblings of these kids, of these babies that we're caring for. So it, it's really nice to have a very all-inclusive thing. And I think the parents would really, you know, really appreciate that as well. Absolutely. And I think I think for the parents, especially when they feel split, they have other kids. It's so, so hard to try to, to remind them that they're doing the absolute best they can as a parent because they're in a state of trauma. The whole family is like, you're not supposed to be separated from your baby when they're first born. So these parents are having all, and especially the mother going through the, like the postpartum hormones, everything like that. So anything I can do to help them feel connected to their baby, feeling like they, they truly do, which they do, they truly love their child, but they can't be there. Anything I can do to relieve that stress, then I feel like I am doing true family-centered care, which is at my hospital, that is like our huge motto is family-centered care. So I actually do work with a child life specialist. Like she's great at letting me know when the sibling's coming in because I am the only music therapist for the entire hospital. We have 200 beds. <laughs> so the NICU is just one small part of what I do. So I really do rely on the child life specialist to be like, okay, siblings are coming in today. I know they want to do a song with you. Can you take them to your studio and do all these different things? And then I can turn around relatively quickly so that I have a CD and a CD player in the room. I know it's old school CD players and stuff like that. <laughs> but that the nurses feel like they're like, I can hit play on this. And I know that this is something that will be good for this baby to hear. And then telling the family the next day, like, oh, I played the song for them last night. And they calmed down right away. It, it makes them feel good. Much better than listening to what the nurses want to listen to yes. or the same lullaby over and over again. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure the nurses are very appreciative of the music therapist in their unit. Um, yeah, and that's that's another thing is that um, I think people have really good intentions about playing music in the room. Um, but as a music therapist and as things have been documented, it actually is not good for babies to be constantly exposed to sound all the time. They need breaks just like everybody needs breaks, especially if you want them to truly rest and get sleep. Their bodies are working truly in overtime because they're in an environment where it's not giving them everything they're supposed to give, like if they'd be in utero. So by having constant stimulation, you're not helping them regulate themselves. So I try to be as gentle as possible with nurses and with staff. And usually they get it. Like NICUs are usually pretty quiet, but sometimes they just movie after movie gets put on. And I just have to give gentle reminders of like, remember, they need their downtime just like everybody else does, where they can't have any stimulation because that's the time when the brain needs to kind of not even rest, but just kind of grow and develop. Otherwise, it's taking in things and can't really process everything, if that makes sense. So, Laura, what got you to start music therapy in a NICU? Why why the NICU? So when I was brought on um, to the hospital that I am at right now, which is a 200-bed hospital, like I said, there was actually no music therapy being done in the NICU. And this is something, a department that they felt really could benefit and a unit that could really benefit. So they asked me to start by working with PTOT speech to see what their goals were going to be and how music therapy could kind of be integrated into that. And when I was just observing and trying to figure out and reading the research and things like that, I really decided that I needed to get trained in it. So I actually went to Mount Sinai Hospital in 
New York and did what's called the Rhythm Breath Lullaby Training. There's different types of NICU music therapy. Um, some music therapists use the pacifier activated lullabies, which is called the PAL program. I am not trained in that. I'm trained in the RBL, which is the Rhythm Breath Lullaby Training. So I went up to Sinai and I did, um, I believe it, it, it equaled 80 hours of training just for neonates. And I was able to see while I was there how to really take patients and families and make interventions specific to that patient and that family in that moment. So I was taught how to do, um, how to turn any song into a lullaby. Like I said, taking Song of Kin and making sure that's really the emphasis of sessions. I learned how to use harmonic and melodic instruments. So harmonic and melodic, meaning that having the guitar and voice at the same time or just my voice and how to hold patients and families in this space just using music. It's kind of an incredible thing to witness um, I don't know if if all the the nurses listening have music therapists at their hospital, but the, but if you do, truly got to try to get a chance to see us in action. I know it sounds like I'm bragging, but there's something about watching an entire room shift just by using a few different vowels or a few different songs with this family that makes it feel like they're connecting in a way with their child, especially if they can't hold their baby. It is amazing to be able to give them the tools to connect with their child just by using their voice or my voice, where they feel like they have some type of control or impact on their baby. So the RBL training that I that I got really emphasizes on the parent-child relationship and how I can best support that through music and singing. So there's what's called tonal vocal holding, where if you just do different vowel sounds, it actually can help. Like if a child has different issues with different areas of their body, it sounds crazy, but it's been actually studied. Different vowel sounds can actually support them in kind of figuring out what's going on. So for example, if a baby has um, like abdomen issues, if I just do like a ooh and just do that kind of very simple, it's a call a third down, it's uh, um, in music, there's these different things called major and minors, and there's it's been proven that if you do a major third, it's kind of the most standard across music. It's the most melodically stable. And also for babies, it's something that they're used to hearing in the mother's womb. So by doing the sound for them, the ooh sound can help with abdomen issues. It sounds crazy, but it's been studied. Like if you do an e sound, it can help when they have trach issues and when they have respiratory issues. If you do an i sound, it helps if they have like different encephalopathy or things with the brain. And it sounds crazy, I know. But by doing just vowel sounds and holding it, it you can really help a baby. Like their, their numbers will start to drop and they actually will start to calm down because it's like you're... It's like you're almost validating what they're going through through sound. I know it sounds hippy-dippy, but it works. If I hadn't seen it work, I'd be like, "Wow, this is crazy. But I've actually seen it work. So by doing things like that and then telling the parents, like, if you notice he's screaming because he's gassy, try doing an ooh sound with him and see if it helps him. And then the parents do it, and then the baby reacts and actually gets better. Then they feel like they have, like, that's something they're doing. So Rhythm Breath Lullaby, I really love because I feel like it's very patient-led. I'm constantly reading the cues, so I know what to look for. And I'll ask nurses, like, kind of... Um, O2 levels that are comfortable for them and good heart rates that are good for them, where they usually sit and where if we want them in a calm state, we want them to be, or if they're usually too calm, they need them more alert. Okay, what's too high of a heart rate? Like, how can I stimulate them more? And then I will do, I have lots of different instruments. I have guitar. I have what's called a gato box. The gato box was actually created, um, the RBL training is done by a music therapist called Joanne Lowy out of Mount Sinai. She's a doctor. She's published everything. She's kind of like a pioneer of the RBL training. And she actually worked with Remo, which is the maker of some of the best drums. 
And they actually created this wooden box that has slits in it that actually makes a major third, like I was talking about earlier, a major third um, sound that's supposed to mimic the heartbeat sounds. So again, my goal is to try to create an environment that is familiar for the baby. If they were still in the mother's womb, they would be hearing her heartbeat. So this is supposed to sound like a heartbeat. This is the gato box. So it's a major third down. And because the heartbeat's in three, you want to try to do it in three. So one, two, three. This is supporting the idea of entrainment that I was talking about earlier, where if you have this in a room, the baby will automatically try to start to match it. And this is actually used a lot with, um, as crazy as it sounds, with feeding, because babies get so dysregulated when they're trying to figure out how to eat, that this, I can bring this in and sit next to a mother while she's trying to feed either with bottle or by breast. And if I play this, and and I watch the sucking pattern, and I play it with them, they will start to sometimes suck with it. And then sometimes it sounds so crazy, but if you do a suck sound with it, so. And do a suck sound with it, you actually can see the baby start to be like, wait a second, what is going on? And they actually try to mimic you, and it actually works for them to actually latch and do things better. Um, So yeah, Gato Box is great. I already said guitar. Um, Voice, obviously. I think voice is the most important instrument. Obviously, because every person has it, mothers included, and when they're talking in utero and everything like that, the baby's exposed to all those types of vibrations and sound. So that's what the baby's familiar with. So even if a a mother or father or sibling is not the most uh, best trained singer, I actually prefer for them to be the person singing with them. Because it doesn't matter if I'm the most trained singer in the world or if you have like Kelly Clarkson come in or Beyonce come in, if it's not their mother... They don't care about it as much. So by trying to tell the mother that even though you think you're tone deaf and all these awful things, the baby wants you and wants your voice the most. So trying to really empower parents to take that on, that again, even if it sounds off or things like that, it's most important to the baby to hear sounds that are familiar for them, and that's the parents' voices. And then the last instrument that I kind of use, so there's the gato box, the guitar, voice, and the last one is called an ocean disc. This was actually developed, again, with Remo, specifically for babies in the NICU. Um, There's a thing called an ocean drum out there, which is where it's a circular disc made of plastic, and there's metal beads in it. And when you tilt it, it sounds like the waves of the ocean. So Joanne Lowy worked with Remo to create an ocean disc, not an ocean drum, that actually has padding in it so that the metal sound isn't as abrasive and it's supposed to mimic the sounds of the womb. So I'm going to try my best to play it so you guys can get a good understanding of what it sounds like. So all I'm doing right now is I'm taking the disc and just barely tilting it. This is an instrument anyone can play. So if you give it to a parent and say, do you want to play this while I play the guitar and sing? Or you can sing with it. They feel like they're making a difference for their baby. And then again, because it's familiar sounds, the baby's heart rate will start to go down. Their breathing will start to regulate more. It's amazing. It really truly is. And the parents feel like they have a hand in it.
So that's that's the ocean disc. So those are really cool examples of what you do at the bedside for these these tiny patients and how it really does mimic the wound. And it's fascinating to see how these sounds can help them eating, with breathing. Um, it's just it's so it's so amazing. And I think it's something that's um, you know, a very powerful tool because sometimes we just totally focus, you know, our our efforts on um, speech therapy, trying to work with them, but we can add another discipline and really help move these babies forward and, and help with their development. Um, you also mentioned how you take requests from families about songs that, you know, are meaningful to them and songs that they really like. And I'm sure a lot of them really aren't in lullaby format. So how do you take something like a pop song, like a Beyonce or, or some other kind of song into a lullaby? So, you know, with your guitar, do you sing? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? Yeah, so like I said earlier, um, the heartbeat's in three, so it's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. And lullabies tend to follow. This is like, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. And if you're listening, you're probably beep bopping along swaying because that's what lullabies do for you. It's like what mothers naturally do when they're, they sway with it. So that's like a three rhythm. Lots of pop music is in four. So it's like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So I have to take those songs and instead of playing them in four, which would be one, two, three, four, I have to play them in three. So one family um, liked the song Free Falling by Tom Petty. Um, No offense to Tom Petty. We both liked the John Mayer version better. So she was fine. The mom was fine with me taking the John Mayer version of it. But this is originally how it kind of goes. This is um, me going to write a record. I am not a professional guitarist, all right? I'm a music therapist. So I'm able to use music to help patients and families. I will never say I'm the best guitarist that's ever walked this earth or the best singer. I just know how to use my voice and instruments to help people. So this is how it would sound if I was just playing it normal. She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus, and America too. She's a good girl, is crazy about Elvis, loves horses, and her boyfriend too. Now I'm free, I'm free for so if I went into a baby's room and I did that, they'd be like, ah, I don't know what's happening. Too much stimulation. So this is how I would start with a baby taking it. So She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus and America too. She's a good girl, is crazy about Elvis, loves horses and her boyfriend too. Now I'm Oh, mm-hmm. 
the other thing that I'm aware of is that it sounds crazy, but if a mother's voice is lower or higher, I try to sing in what would be their voice because that's what the baby heard. So if that was the case and I was like, ooh, she's got a lower voice, I might drop it down. She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus, and America too. So that way, if the mom is singing with me, I'm not like, mm, you need to sing higher to match my pitch. I'm trying to create an environment that's familiar for the baby. So if a mother has a lower voice, I'll change the key and everything. Does that make sense? Totally. Can totally. you hear the difference oh, between yeah, the two? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. See, you get a concert too when you listen to this podcast. So. <laughs> Thank you. That was really that was really cool because you know you can totally see and hear the difference, and and, and that's why it's so important to have a music therapist because you're we're not blasting, you know, some of the really loud music that sometimes the parents want their kids to listen to, but there's ways that we can you know still play the song that they request, but maybe in a little in a and then in a way that's more appropriate for their baby developmentally. Exactly. And I think sometimes when nurses have great intentions about having these more upbeat songs, that if you aren't really watching, or especially because sometimes their there's signs of distress can be so subtle. So actually some of the signs I look for that if a baby yawns, if they get the hiccups, that's actually signs of overstimulation. So I've been in sessions before where we hit the 15-minute mark and they start hiccuping. And I'm like, okay. We're done. Too much simulation. Like, we need to back it off. Where I don't think that people, if you don't know to look for those cues, you just leave music on all the time. They might be like, I'm overstimulated. I can't regulate myself. But you're not looking for those signs because it's not like their heart rate's going off. It's not like their O2's are going off. But they could be trying to, to let you know, like, I'm in a little bit of distress. Can you calm it down a little bit? Yeah, there's subtle signs that mm-hmm. sometimes if you, pl- you, you know, you set it and you forget it and you let, let them listen to it for a while. If you're not in the room, you might not no- totally notice that. So you told us about how, you know, you spend a lot of times with the families and the siblings with music therapy, but is there ever a time where um, the, the healthcare team asks you to um, provide support for them during um, cares or procedural support with your music therapy? Yes. So I know some um, hospitals actually have it standard that for all, all ROP exams, the music therapist is there. We're not there yet. Um, given that I am only one person for an entire hospital, it's really hard to get to every ROP. Um, but sometimes I'm involved in cares and help, helping keep babies calm, especially ones that get really dysregulated during cares time. The one um, patient that stands out a lot for the procedural support was um, a little baby who had epidermolosis bullosa, which is EB, which in very layman's terms, the way I understood it was that the skin just kind of sloths off and it's very painful. Um, so there's constantly having to be dressings rewrapped around arms and legs. And for this particular baby, it was um, pretty detrimental. Unfortunately, was not diagnosed until birth. Family had no idea. So I first met this patient um, when they were about to do a dressing change. And they were. I met the mom at bedside and she was like, I don't know if you're going to be able to help. He usually just cries the entire time. And they were trying to use, um, it's called Sweeties, I believe. Is that what you guys call it? which is like the sucralose, I believe, to try to help keep him calm. Um, and they said, can you just see what happens when you start playing music? And um, I will never forget it. Like, I still sometimes cry thinking about this patient. Um, as soon as they started playing and they started unwrapping his like arms and legs to do the dressing change, um, he looked right at me and did not make a sound. And everyone was just like, what is going on? And they continued to pour the water on and change everything. And he would grimace for a little bit, but he would like cry for a few minutes, but he would constantly refocus back to me. So 
The mom said, please just keep playing. I don't care what you play. Just please keep playing. Because usually I always say, I only play songs that the family knows. So I would like say songs out loud, like, is this okay? And she's like, just please keep playing. It's helping me. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So there was one song that I kind of pulled out of my back pocket that um, it's actually from Parenthood, which is a TV show. It's a very small little song that one of the characters sings at one point. And um, I call it Small Fingers, Small Toes. And it kind of became his song um, that we played it at every single dressing change. And then, um, unfortunately, his uh, disease progressed so much that um, there was nothing more they could do, and he became kind of end of life. And um, in the last few hours, he was alive as they were holding him. I just played that song over and over again and did a photo shoot with him, so I played the song as well. And then um, at our hospital, we started doing a a heartbeat recording program where I'm able to take heartbeats and use um, a Bluetooth stethoscope to take the sounds, isolate them, and then be able to layer songs over it. So the mom actually had me, and I'll play it in a moment, sing this song over top of his heartbeat. And they actually played it at the funeral after he passed. So this song became like their song. So it's called Small Fingers, Small Toes. I just want to give you an example. Um, Again, I try to do everything patient-led, but this was something that I started playing, and the mom was just like, this is... This is his song. Like whenever she hears it now, it's it's their song. And I think what's really nice about this is that it's not a very popular song. So I like to think of it that mom doesn't get kind of that jarring feeling of like the trauma being reminded of it. If she's out at the grocery store hearing it, this is a song that's so um, not well known that she only will hear it when she wants to hear it. So this is called A Small Finger, Small Toes. continues to go on and I love this song so much because it has a message of like little babies having a part of their mothers and fathers and like your fingers and my nose but also um, I will feel you no, no matter how far away I am from you I will always feel you and we'll be all right because even if a parent can't be at bedside this song applies to them even if they're there and they're like don't worry I will come back for you but even if you think about losing their baby like even if they're far away from them like physically, spiritually, they will always be together. So I think that's why this song for her was so much emphasis. And as a music therapist, I'm constantly thinking about the song choices I make in session to ensure that I'm not either making the parents feel a certain way about things or not validating some of the feelings they're having. So like, you are my sunshine. I never sing it as it is originally written, which is, um, what is that? You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. Um, please don't take my sunshine away. I never say that because especially when you work at a children's hospital, some of those kids are detrimentally sick. So I always say, um, you'll never know, dear, how much I love you. How I love you every day 
because I don't want them ever being like, oh, please don't take my sunshine away. And I'm like, no, we don't need to go there if you don't want to go there. Obviously, if families want to go there, I'll go there with them. But I always try to create a positive in it. So I don't think I'm bringing them down. Well, Laura, that was just like the true power of music and what it can do to help families and our little babies that we care for every day. Thank you so much for joining us today. What an excellent example of multidisciplinary teams coming together to create better patient outcomes and most importantly, a healing environment through sound. Make sure you never miss an episode of NANCAST by subscribing now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks for your support and letting us into your ears. Have a great day.